Good morning. I hope you are doing well this morning. We'd like to welcome you to worship at Church of the Atonement virtually. Uh, we are so thankful to have this time to gather together in the Lord's name and to dedicate this uh, hour and change to spending time in God's word, lifting up our prayers uh, together, and having an opportunity to, uh, to grow in our faith and encouragement as uh, we are the church at work in the world for the glory and uh, building up of the kingdom. If this is your first time with us, we'd like to thank you for joining us for worship this morning. If you have not uh, taken time to do so, please introduce yourself in the Facebook comments. We'd love for you to take advantage of that. Or you can send us an email uh, at info at atonementlife.org and let us know this is your first time with us this morning. Um, we also want to make sure that you're getting our emails. If you're not currently subscribed to our email list where we send out information about our gatherings and we're also keeping the congregation updated about uh, our regathering plan and process, we hope that you would take time uh, to sign up for that subscription, uh, that email uh, contact subscription. You can go to our website at atonementlife.org, and right on our homepage, there's a form about halfway down. You can fill that out, and then we can get your information and, and uh, keep you in the loop with things that are happening here. Something that we announced last week uh, was that we have entered step one of our regathering plan, which is we are encouraging people to have off-site ministry. So the building is not open, but we know that many places outdoors and many uh, opportunities to gather in uh, homes exist out there. So we want to encourage that. We want people to be getting together in their small groups and gathering as families or gathering with their friends for uh, streaming worship like this this morning. Um, so hopefully you're with some friends or family. Uh, if not, make sure you take advantage of that. We think it would be a tremendous encouragement just to gather with two or more uh, brothers or sisters in Christ in this time. And as you do, please practice safety and take precaution. If you're in an at-risk group uh, because of health with COVID stuff, please take care of yourself and, and use good judgment. Um, we're actually encouraging people to still use masks and, and be careful about their uh, safe distancing practices and washing of hands, all that kind of stuff. And we also are asking for everyone to abide by a, uh, a no-symptom or a symptom-free wellness policy. And essentially... Any symptoms of sickness that is undiagnosed, just refrain from meeting. Try not to, to get together unless you know what you're sick with. Uh, we just don't want to take any chances as unpredictable as COVID transmission has been. And we know that your friends and family and your small group will thank you and be excited for you to rejoin when you're well. Um, we also want to thank you for your tremendous response to our survey. Uh, just want to say this is probably the best response to any survey ever. Any survey ever that has been taken. We had 115 responses, which uh, was somewhere in the neighborhood of 240 plus people. How many people? Two, 240 people uh, that that survey was uh, accounting for. And uh, it was just tremendous. It was a tremendous help for our reopening committee as we try to formulate our plans of how we logistically fit everyone into our spaces uh, with the current um, requirements by the Montgomery County government. So we're still trying to solve those problems, and we hope to be uh, getting to a regathering point in our building for worship very soon. So uh, make sure you're signed up for the emails and stay tuned to those communications. With that, I want us to uh, take a moment and let's ask the Lord to help us center our hearts and minds on what we really are gathering to do, and that is to worship the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great privilege that we have this morning to gather in your name. 
We thank you for the privilege of being called your people. And we ask now that you would help our hearts and minds to be centered in this moment, to be fully present, to be able to reflect free of distraction and worry and anxiety. Lord, that we might come before your word and be changed by it, to be remade and encouraged to live in the likeness of Christ, to be your holy people. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the call to worship from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Sisters and brothers, come. Let us praise the Lord our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we sing together, come, Christians, join to sing. Jesus' name, let angels 
themselves prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. He chose in seed of Israel's race, he ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial fall. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. To him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Amen. Let us go together and confess our sins to the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, forgive us for our sins in thought, word, and deed. Forgive us for neglecting your word and living our lives by our own set of rules. Forgive us for finding more pleasure and comfort in created things rather in our union with your Son, Jesus Christ. Forgive us for being inadequate ambassadors of your name and of your glory. Forgive us for, taking, for trying to take your glory for ourselves. Lord, forgive us for not loving you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Forgive us also, Lord, for our sins of inaction and apathy towards others and their needs. Forgive our sins of pride and arrogance when we have believed ourselves to be better than others. Forgive us for our lack of empathy and for being dismissive of other people's pain and suffering. Lord, forgive us for not loving our neighbor as ourselves. In your mercy, Lord, hear our silent prayers of confession. Lord, you know all of our unrighteousness, even the sins we ourselves are unaware of. 
But yet you love us still, and you offer forgiveness to all who trust in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, it is on Christ's merits and his alone that we come before you in confession and ask for your forgiveness. We praise you for hearing our prayers and the mercy you show us in forgiving us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our assurance of pardon this morning is from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Praise the Lord. At this time, uh, we invite you to uh, think of it as uh, an offering. Uh, We're going to present a song to you. It's called We Come, O Christ, to you. It's a simple hymn, and it talks about that Christ is uh, everything to us, and that is why uh, we come to him. to you, true Son of God and man, by whom all things consist, in whom all life began, in you alone we live and move, and have our being in your love. You're the only way to God, your blood our ransom paid, and so in you we face our judge and our maker unafraid. Before the throne absolved we stand, your love has met your law's demand. Christ, you are the living truth. All wisdom dwells in you. You're the source of every skill. You're the one eternal true. Oh, great I am, in you we rest. Sure answer to our every quest. Alone, our true life, and to know you is to live the more abundant life this earth can't ever fully give. So, risen Lord, we live in you, in us each day, your life renewed. you, Lord Christ, our Savior and our King. To you, our youth, our strength, our lives, adoringly we bring. 
so fill our hearts that all may view your life in us and turn to you. Thank you, worship team. Well, we are at the children's message. Good morning, boys and girls. I hope you are doing well this morning. You know, something that we've been talking about in our uh, big people messages is how to be holy in everyday life. And we've been talking about what it's like to be a citizen. That's somebody that lives and belongs to a country or a community. We've been talking about what it's like when you have a boss or you're an employer, uh, that you're a boss of somebody else in the workplace. And we've, today we're going to be talking about what it's like to be a husband or a wife. And something that I thought about today was, um, you know, all those things are kind of things that you do whenever you're grown up, whenever you're an adult. They're things that our mommies and daddies do. But what about you guys? What about boys and girls that are your age? Well, I wanted you to know that the Bible also talks about how to be holy every day, how to live like God wants us to live and show the world how wonderful he is every day, even when you're your age, even when you're a boy or a girl. So in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land. Now, this is a really big deal. It's a big deal because it tells us that, first, we don't just obey our parents because our parents are just telling us what to do, and they're our parents, so we have to obey them. It's telling us that we obey our parents in the Lord. We obey our parents because we know who God is. We obey our parents because Jesus loves us so much, and God loves us so much. And it also tells us that how we obey our parents matters. Paul writes that we are to honor our father and mother. So the way that we obey, we don't just do the thing. We have to do it in a way that shows that we really love them, that we really respect that they're our parents, a way that shows them honor. So well, what would that look like? Okay, maybe our mom or dad asks us to do something, and we might have a couple of ways that we respond to that. Right? We might have them say, okay, you know, Ryan, go clean your room. And I can respond like this. Okay, Mom. And I go clean my room. I'm going to just tell you a little secret. That was very rare when I was your age growing up. And I'm really sad that I never just said it like that. You know what I normally did? Most of the time I went, ugh, fine, I'll go clean my room. And I made a big stink about it. And I obeyed, but not with a happy heart. The Bible is telling us that being holy, showing how wonderful God is in the way that we live every day, means listening and obeying our parents with a happy heart, doing it in a way that shows honor and respect to them. That even as kids, when we do that, the world watches. Our friends see how we obey our parents. Our brothers and sisters might see how we obey and listen to our parents. Other parents might see how we obey and listen to our parents. And we don't do it just because they're our parents. We do it because of how much God loves us. We want to show our great love for God in the way that we listen to our parents. 
Well, that's a hard thing to do all the time, and we don't always do it the right way. Sometimes we don't have happy hearts. And so it's important that we ask God to help us. And sometimes we might feel like, well, I'm trying to be respectful, but my parents are being so mean to me, and they're being unfair. It's always good to worry about ourselves first. And maybe if we're really checking to make sure that we are obeying our parents and doing it with a happy heart, we might be surprised to see how much they listen and become much kinder towards us in the way that they ask us to do things or take care of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that no matter what age we are, you have a place for us in the kingdom. That even whether we're big or small, you have a way that you want to show your glory in the world. We thank you for the amazing kids that we have in our church family. And we pray, Father, that this uh, important truth would just hit them way down deep in their heart where it matters most. That they would know how much you love them and what big plans you have for their lives, even before they grow up. We pray that you would use the children of our church this morning to show your glory, to show how wonderful you are to the world by the way that they listen to their moms and dads. Help them. Give them strength. Help them to have self-control by your Holy Spirit and help them to remember how much you love them and what an important thing it is to obey our parents. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for our uh, big kid sermon today, we are picking up this morning uh, in the part of 1 Peter's letter where he's getting very practical. Once again, we're looking at this section where he's looking at what it looks like to be holy in everyday life. And so far, we've looked at life as a citizen and life as an employee to, to modernize the text a little bit for us. And this week, uh, we look at what holy living looks like in your role as a husband or a wife. Now, sometimes when we read the scriptures, I just want to acknowledge this, we come across passages that offend our modern sensibilities. Passages like the one last week sting because we know how they have been weaponized. We know how they've been used to perpetrate incredible harm towards people. They've been used to uh, institutionalize evil and to endorse sinful patterns and behaviors. And so even though we read the words of Scripture and we try to understand them and take them for the value we believe them to have, it can be a very difficult thing for us to read these passages. And certainly timing and our personal experiences make a big difference in how we feel about them. Sometimes our experiences and sensitivities can really put us in a defensive posture when we come to God's Word. And this can be true for many types of passages. We can read passages that describe gross violence and it can really offend us, you know, that some things were even endorsed by the Lord in the Old Testament. We may be just taken back by what seems to be barbaric cultural practices and trying to understand these things. And so we just skip over those parts of Scripture rather than trying to wrestle with them and understand what they're trying to teach. And this even happens whenever Scripture simply touches on a sensitive area in our own lives, either from our experience or maybe something in our, uh, in our lives that is a, a habit of sin that the scripture speaks against. You know, so when we come across those scriptures, it can put us in this defensive posture. And I know that there have been many times, sadly, that our passage that we're reading today and others like it have been used in dismissive and demeaning ways, even by church leadership. I have sat in the council uh, with women 
in my experience as a pastor who are recovering from abusive relationships. And this verse was used, these verses were used to control and manipulate them and to condone the abusive behavior of their husbands. And I've heard men give dismissive statements about wives or women in the church, not fully understanding clearly their role as husbands. So I just want to acknowledge that reality before we get into the text, that you know, these experiences that we have can posture us to have a, a defensive kind of perspective whenever we read these passages. But this is important, and this passage is important, because unlike slavery, which we looked at last week, marriage is something that's instituted by God. It's a gift given for human flourishing, for having children and creating an influencing society, and for growing in our own personal holiness, the image of God. And so this means that the scriptures that give prescription to marriage are important for us to consider. But with all the baggage, you know, it can be really hard uh, to, to look at them with an open mind. And it can be very easy to have a defensive posture toward our passage today. But just because a scripture has been misused doesn't mean it's useless. Sometimes it's good for us to be unsettled by scripture. And it's good to wrestle with it. Whenever I do marriage counseling, one of my favorite uh, things that, that uh, experiences I've had with the couples that I've had the privilege of marrying is that I always assign for them to have some Bible study time and to read Ephesians 5, 21 through 31, which is always talking about husbands, submit, or wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, love your wives. And uh, in, I always love asking people to read this. The reactions are priceless. And the conversations actually are invaluable. Usually, the first read-through, men have swelled heads and ladies feel worried that their lives and livelihoods are tied to the man that they are about to marry. And so it's usually a pretty comical situation. I usually get something like, okay, I read the passage and I understand what it's trying to say. But, and in my eyes, looking into her eyes, I'm reading into, do you know the guy I'm about to marry? You know, there's a little bit of fear and anxiety, no matter how wonderful he is about trying to, and understanding what does it mean to submit to her husband. And I see a lot of guys thinking, you know, upon first read, yeah, this sounds pretty great. I just got to love her, you know, and, and then she's got to respect me. That sounds wonderful. But by the time we're done talking, and by the time the study is over, usually it's the other way around. Wives see themselves in a privileged and, and part of a very privileged position in the relationship, and guys are sweating bullets about what it means to fill Jesus' shoes. And uh, so what happens is, is a transformation. The Word of God transforms the perspective on marriage. The Scriptures don't need to be weaponized to, to try to get us to live in certain ways. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4.12. It's already a weapon, and the Lord is using it to craft and to make in us uh, holiness. And so what we need to do is allow the Spirit of God to speak to us through the Scriptures. And the same is true for our passage today. So before we read it, I just want to say a quick prayer for us. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would help us 
not to assume a position of standing over your word as if we could try and judge it. But help us to assume a position of sitting under your word so that we might receive it and be fed and nourished for faith by it. Help us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's read our passage. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is the third context in which Peter is giving instructions for holy living. And I should have mentioned this earlier as we've been going through this section of 1 Peter, but it's very clear to see now that there's a pattern here, that Peter is very intentionally speaking into and addressing people who find themselves in very vulnerable and difficult situations, situations where you're not in control, situations where you don't have power. So he's spoken to people under the authority of governors. He's spoken to slaves under the authority of masters. And now he's speaking to wives under the authority of their husbands. And one thing that we've done each week is that we've taken a few moments to try to understand the context to which Peter is writing. So as we learned last week, the Roman culture was a very religious culture, extremely religious culture. Every human institution in Rome adopted patron gods, including households, and it was expected that everyone in the household would participate in the religious worship of these deities. And so for wives with non-Christian husbands, as Peter has addressed here, this most certainly meant that there would be conflict. You know, marriage in Rome was primarily for securing social status, not love. It was for procreation, not necessarily cherishing one another and growing in holiness. Therefore, keeping social status was always a concern with the, in regards to the marriage. And so wives were expected to be chaste before marriage and faithful after marriage. And the same expectations, however, did not apply to Roman men. There was indeed a double standard. In marriage, women were expected to acquiesce to the husband's ruling on the household deities and also participate in any um, community festivals that needed to take place with the pagan practice of religion. And so for a Christian wife, you could be bringing great shame upon the household for not participating in these things. Women had very few rights in Roman culture. They could not vote. They could not hold a political office. And except for the wealthiest, they were expect to, expected to help manage the household and serve uh, in the guilds where their husbands served. And yet, despite all that hard work and, and um, help in encouraging the Roman economy, they were considered inferior to men. 
So one of the reasons this passage is often scrutinized is that it appears on face value as we read it that Peter is trying to put women in their place. And he certainly is, but not in the sense that most people think. As Peter speaks to wives and addresses them, he's actually elevating their position in society. He's acknowledging their dignity, and he knows the important role that they play in displaying the holiness of God and building the church. And so we're going to see that as Peter addresses wives, he does four things. The first thing, Peter exhorts. He tells them, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some don't obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter's point is that as wives live holy lives and respect their husbands and honor their husbands, it is going to be a way that communicates the gospel and the glory of God to their husbands, even those who don't believe. It's, it's done with a redemptive purpose. And like we have uh, mentioned in the past uh, weeks, that wives should honor their husbands to the extent that they don't disobey the Lord. There's always that line that is not to be crossed where obedience would require disobedience to the Lord. Peter then, after he gives this exhortation, he explains. He says, do not let your adorning be external by the braiding of the hair or um, putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in which God's sight is very precious. Once again, many will look at these words that Peter is writing and consider them to be prudish and controlling. What right does a man have to tell a woman what she can wear or how she can dress? Well, the reality is that societies tell women what they should wear and how they should dress all the time. There are cultural expectations and pressures around how women must present themselves in public, and they've always been that way, and some of them have been quite oppressive. Think of the pressures that women have to wear makeup and to look fit and to present themselves well in public, and think of the ways that that standard is not always applied to men. Think of all that, what, uh, that women must do to have themselves taken seriously in the workplace, and so in these words, what we can see is Peter is not condemning women for dressing well, but rather he's freeing wives from the slavery of seeking favor and finding value with their husbands or community by the way that they appear. He's freeing them from this cultural expectation of trying to earn their husband's favor through the way that they look. He's redefining for wives where their value is found. It's not found through the eyes of their husbands, but he says it's found in this gentle, quiet spirit, this imperishable beauty, which is precious in the eyes of God. He's redefining where their value comes from. A wife's social status and status and worth is not dependent on who she's married to, but who her God is. A wife is not first and foremost a trinket or an accessory to her husband. Peter shows here that their purpose is much more meaningful. And when Peter speaks of a gentle and quiet spirit, he's not being dismissive. Again, we would think he's just telling women to be quiet and know their place. But rather, what he's doing is he's commending an incredible strength, one that's very difficult to exercise. It takes deep faith and hopeful trust in the Lord to not place every anxiety and fear in life upon your husband and expect your husband to come through for you. It takes, with unbelieving husbands, a great burden. It's a great burden to carry 
worrying about your husband's faith. And if we simply find opposite words for what Peter says here, instead of using gentle and quiet, Peter's point would be that you should not be harsh or verbally abusive. That harsh and verbally abusive spirits do not resemble God's holiness and grace. They do not foster the spiritual transformation that God wishes to bring through marriage in relationship to husbands. And so that's why Peter is commending this great strength. But not only does he, he explain and commend this, but he gives an example. Verse 5, he says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Here Peter supports his teaching by referring to the women of the Old Testament who obeyed their husbands, women like Sarah. Peter describes them as women whose hope was in God. Remember how Peter uses that word in the beginning of his letter. Hope is is this secure trust in who God is and what God has done for you and who you are through Christ. And so Peter is explaining how it was their relationship with God, their hope in God that served as their foundation to live this way, to be faithful and honoring wives to their husbands. They hoped in God. They set their trust in him and his promises. I also think it's really interesting that when you read many of the Old Testament accounts of the women who are named and described in the Old Testament, many are described as being very beautiful. And this was even true for Sarah. And think about all that Sarah had in terms of her her life. She was wealthy. Her husband had acquired great wealth through God's blessing. Surely she could have adorned herself with garments and jewelry. But Peter says that what made Sarah most beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is how faithfully she honored her husband. And think of all that Sarah had to put up with as Abraham's husband. She truly is a hero of the faith. She left her husband's home city and family when he received a calling from the Lord to go into a land that they've never lived before. And so she followed him into a nomadic lifestyle, basically tiny house living, uh, into a territory occupied by other tribes in which he had to defend himself and defend his household. And guess what? They had no heirs at the time. And guess what? They were also very old. Not only did she have to endure all of this at an older age, she had to pretend to be his sister so that he wouldn't get killed. And when she did pretend to be his sister, she was taken into the harem of the kings, two of them. This happened to her twice, (laughs) all in obedience to her husband. And what else did she do? Oh, she had his baby at age 90. She had to put up with a lot, right? (laughs) Think of all that she went through. And yet, despite it all, Sarah was not perfect, but she demonstrated a great commitment to honor her husband and therefore honor her Lord. And so Peter is encouraging also here in this passage, all the women that he writes to, both then and now, you are her children. We often see in the scriptures how people are described as children of Abraham, that you are a child of the covenant, you are a child of the promise. And here, Peter uses Sarah's name to emphasize the belonging that, that wives have, faithful wives have to the kingdom of God. You are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. He's reminding them that they are heirs to the promise. Peter closes his encouragement and he emphasizes that basically they should not let fear 
impede obedience. For the wives Peter is writing to, there are a lot of potential reasons to fear. Unbelieving husbands could respond in a variety of ways, including divorce. So there are many anxieties a wife could have about how her husband or family could react to her following Christ. And even today, as much as a woman might love her fiancé, I don't think I've had one conversation where there hasn't been just a tinge of fear or anxiety about becoming his wife. It takes great strength and trust to be a wife. It's a very important role that God calls women into in the context of marriage. And this passage reveals that the inward strength is found not in oneself, but it's found in one's hope in God. And it results in an imperishable beauty, something that lasts much more. Uh, something very similar to that word, uh, imperishable word that we receive in the gospel that Peter talked about earlier. You know, the church, as we see throughout the scriptures, was built on the godly influence of women. And it is still built that way. Women are incredibly important in the kingdom, and Peter wants them and the whole church to know that, and he names it. And now, after putting wives in their place by building them up, Peter transitions and puts husbands in their place by humbling them. Peter gives the what to the husbands. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Peter is teaching husbands that because you have authority doesn't mean that you domineer. That leadership and authority in the marriage should not equal domineering or lording, especially through harshness or even violence. Instead, husbands should be living with understanding. This means showing empathy, living with empathy, not just sympathy. Now, many will take offense at this phrase that Peter uses, this, uh, these two words, weaker vessel. What does Peter mean by this? Well, it's likely that Peter is simply referring here to physical strength, that men need to understand that there's no way in which they should be taking advantage of their physical dominance over women. And I think that certainly uh, suffices. But I would also suggest for us as men and as husbands that we think also about the aspect of vulnerability. That being a weaker vessel may be a result of being, living in a male-dominated society. No matter how much physical or intellectual or spiritual strength your wife may have, she may be at a social disposition. In this time, that was certainly true. She was treated as an inferior everywhere except the church and the home. But every other context of culture, women were not valued in the same way. And sadly, this is still true many times today. No matter what we try to do to redefine feminine strength, no matter what laws or regulations are passed to try to service equality, it's impossible to get around human behavior. It's impossible to have control over sin. Women are still objectified and manipulated, underpaid, and dismissed as voices in our society. In Ephesians 5, we have a very similar passage that talks about husbands and wives. And Paul wrote that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And so the question I would raise is, how much understanding did Christ have in his love for the church? He understood so much that he was willing to come and be with us, to live in our world, to endure suffering, 
that we have to experience, to speak to our value in a world that tries to rob us of our God-given dignity. Jesus came to do for us things that we were too weak to do, to sacrifice himself for our good, even at the cost of his own life. Jesus' love of the church, brothers, is the highest picture of what it looks like to live with understanding. And so husbands, we're to live with our lives in understanding ways. We shouldn't persecute weaknesses that we see or vulnerabilities. We should not do that. The world does that enough. We should not ignore or dismiss their voices. Instead, we need to understand. We need to recognize, even today, the societal disposition that they have and demonstrate great understanding as husbands. And so it might be that Peter speaks of women being a weaker vessel, but not out of any sense of a derogatory language, but rather to help men see their great responsibility as husbands. So that's the what that Peter gives, that we are to be living with our wives in understanding ways. And then Peter gives the why. Two reasons. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Peter is crystal clear right here. He emphasizes that in the kingdom, wives and husbands are on equal standings. Wives are just as much God's children as their husbands are. That is so important to understand. This is something that is emphasized over and over again throughout Scripture, especially in the writings of Paul. The second reason that Peter gives is that we should live in an understanding way with our wives so that our prayers may not be hindered. Peter connects uh, obedience to effective prayer. Just as he gave an, uh, an admonition to wives that they should not fear anything. In other words, fear should not impede their obedience to honor their husbands. Peter here says that disobedience can impede our prayers. That husbands should not allow disobedience to come and disconnect them from their close relationship with the Lord. Well, even though this passage was written uh, to Roman couples nearly 2,000 years ago, it's very clear to see that there is a lot of relevance in this scripture. And it's an important message in redeeming the biblical value of marriage and understanding the roles of, of man and wife and understanding that the Bible is not speaking demeaning or dismissive ways. It's not putting people in their place in ways that are unhealthy, but rather in ways that build holiness. While culturally we have come a long way, there are still important lessons for us to learn from this. We still live in an era where God wants to use wives and husbands to display his glory to the world. And so I want to offer a couple of takeaways for us this morning. What do we do with this passage? The first thing that we need to do is we need to recognize that marriage is a venue for God's glory. Marriage is a holy thing, and it is a gift that God has given for human flourishing. And so, brothers and sisters, our marriages are a venue for God's glory to be seen. Our spouses are watching us, especially non-believing ones. Our friends and family are watching us. And God's intention is for the gospel to be on display in our marriage. Our personal call as husband and wife is to be a witness of the gospel and God's glory, everything that makes him wonderful, to our spouse. And we do it in the way that we live out those roles. So the first thing is that we need to recognize that marriage is a venue for God's glory. The second thing is that we can appreciate and celebrate the gospel ethics 
of marriage. Gospel ethics are the convictions and behaviors that are formed by the grace of the gospel. So some of the ethics that we see here is the importance of operating and treating one another with dignity, not disparity. We can celebrate that even in marriage with different roles, the Bible consistently elevates the dignity of women. We see it in the place and prominence of women in Jesus' ministry. We see it in the way that women were used to build the church. Um, God used women to build the church. We see it in people like Lydia and Priscilla and Eunice. And we also see it in passages like this one, where women are on equal standing in the kingdom of God, heirs to the grace of life, that there is value in the place and prominence of women, even though the role of husband and wife are different. The second uh, gospel ethic I would point to that should be celebrated and uh, practiced and appreciated is that power and authority doesn't come from demanding it. Power and authority in the role of a husband doesn't come out of demands, but rather it comes through sacrificial service. In Scripture, the picture of husbandry that is given over and over again, the picture of a husband being the head of the household places far more emphasis on the husband's sacrifice and far less on his position of power or authority. Authority in the scriptures always means more responsibility to care well for those who are with you. That's a beautiful picture of authority. It means it's not about lording it over, but rather it's about responsibility to care and uplift. And that's something that we can affirm and celebrate. And I think our culture would affirm and celebrate that with us. The third thing is that we can see the only way to live holy lives as husband and wife is with God's help. The only way wives can honor their husbands and obey them and be willing to honor them, even when their husbands make terrible decisions like Abraham did with Sarah, is to be fundamentally changed and secured by the grace of God. The only way husbands can live in an understanding way with their wives and love them as Christ loved the church is to be fundamentally changed by the grace of gospel and realize how much God has sacrificed and cared and understood them. It's something that happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. It should be a relief to us to know that this principle of being holy and being a husband and being a wife doesn't come out of our own strength. It is a transformative power that God is working in us. And the marriage relationship is an arena where this sanctification process happens and as it happens, the gospel is on display. I think it's important that we notice Peter's exhortations encourage husbands and wives to stay in their own lane. Notice Peter doesn't say that we should be correcting one another's behavior. He doesn't say, wives, make sure your husbands are taking care of you. And husbands, make sure your wives are listening to your leadership. Instead, both instructions emphasize the importance of grace-filled living towards our spouse. His encouragement is to focus on ourselves so that the Spirit can work through our obedience. This is a hard calling to be a spouse, to be a husband or a wife. Marriage is a place where we can see each other's greatest weaknesses and be tempted to take advantage of them. It can be very difficult to entrust ourselves to our spouses and to mutually handle our weaknesses and our anxieties, our fears and vulnerabilities and failures in ways that glorify God. But that's what God calls us to do. We're not perfect in our marriages and we will certainly fail. 
but in marriage and through reconciliation and forgiveness, through the gospel at work, God is perfecting us and making us more and more holy. I think particularly in this season of staying at home, I think a lot of us have felt like God has put us uh, and quarantined us in the marriage lab. And he's put us in close quarters with our husbands or wives where we would usually get a break for a few hours of the day. We're now in close quarters. And some of us have gotten very good at close quarter combat. Some of you may be feeling like God has put you in a place to really be working on your communication and working through conflict and maybe brought you into a new level of care and compassion that you would not have known had life just gone on as normal. And so I would encourage us today, this week, for those of us who are called into this context of marriage and have this calling placed upon our lives, it's a good time to reflect on passages like this one, to put our defenses down, to reflect on what the scriptures are saying, and to ask for God's help to be holy as he is holy in our roles as husband and wife. Maybe a really good time to handle some of those conflicts that have come up in your marriage. Maybe you've been trying to dismiss them, just sweep them under the rug and act like they have never happened. The time to deal with them is today. Don't let the sun go down on those issues. Let us, as husbands and wives, be holy as God is holy. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word and for the challenge that it is. Lord, we, uh, we know and cherish the importance of your word, and we ask that you would use it to change us. Father, for those preparing for, mes- for marriage and those who are, are not yet married but will be married one day, we pray that they would be able to draw strength and recall and prepare for their calling as uh, husband and wife in that future time through today's message. For those, Lord, who are past the seasons of marriage, who have lost their loved ones, we pray that they would be able to reflect and look back on your grace at work in the the beauty of their marriage. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling with the burdens of marriage right now, and we pray that you would strengthen and that you would support and encourage and affirm value and identity and meaning as your children. Lord, and sustain them Help them to see the great value that you've placed on this call. And Father, for those of us who are called to a celibate life or a single life, Lord, we pray that you would use voices to encourage and build up the church, to speak into marriages um, and share your truth and gospel with uh, those around us who need it, Lord. To be a wise voice of counsel in times of distress. We thank you, Lord, for this word in Christ's name. Amen. Let's continue in prayer as we go to the king of the universe with our cares and our concerns. Let's pray together. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Our most high and supreme God, who exists from everlasting to everlasting, you spoke, and by your very word, the earth and all that is in it came into being. Just as you have created the ends of the earth, so shall one day your glory be recognized unto the ends of the earth. As your people, our Lord, we come to you as those who can relate to the words of Isaiah because of the fall, because of our ongoing sin, we undergo much pain and heartache in our lives. And sometimes we feel that our way is hidden and disregarded by you. Some of us go through personal struggles in our hearts and in our minds. We have an ache inside that has gone untreated for a long, long time. We think that our way is hidden from your sight. We think and believe that there is no hope. Some of us have struggles in our homes, families, marriages, or with our children and our jobs. When, when, when days and weeks and months go by with little or no change, God, we feel as if we are at the end of our rope. We find ourselves saying, my cause is disregarded by my God. All of us here, Lord, feel the effects of the sin that has been brought on by humanity's rebellion against you. And all of us, O oh Lord, at one time or another, and maybe even right now, feel weak and weary. And so today we call upon you we call upon you, our Lord and King of the universe, and we ask you to revive us. Your word here declares that you give strength to the weary, and so we pray that you would send your spirit to comfort and strengthen those who struggle. We pray for those whose struggles are unseen to the world, who struggle within themselves with anger and sadness dissatisfaction, or even despair. We pray that you would come to them, comfort them, and instill in them the hope of trusting in you, the one who never grows tired or weary. We pray for those whose struggles are with other people, whether within the family, within the church, or elsewhere. We pray, Lord, that you would increase the power of the weak, and that you would mend broken relationships. We are prone in our hearts to become hard. Lord, we beg you to make us soft. 
we are prone to despair. Oh, Lord, we beg you, give us hope. And, Father, we bring to you also the concerns of our congregation. We want to thank you for the birth of Matt and Christy Lawson's baby, Theodore David Lawson, this past week. We pray, O oh Lord, as he's a little, little boy in the hospital, that you would allow his body to be strong, that he would grow healthy. We ask you, God, that Christy recovers well. We pray, O oh God, your healing over her body, and we pray, Lord, that you bless and give comfort and strength to their family in the days ahead. We pray for Cecia and Brian. We pray, O oh God, that you heal Cecia of the COVID that she has contracted. We pray, God, that you would allow our sister to grow healthy, to overcome this virus. We pray for Brian, who tested negative, but God is still dealing with some of the same symptoms. We pray, God, that you heal this couple. We pray that their little ones would remain healthy, even Eva and Joaquin. We thank you for Nelly and Arturo for caring for them, Lord. We thank you, O oh God, that our brother Ryan McKay was able to have his treatment and surgery. We pray, God, that you would keep him cancer-free. We lift up Robin Sloan. We pray for the Robinson's niece, Andrea, as she transitions home and the needs that she and her family will have. God, we also ask that you would restore Andrea's physical health. Remove the paralysis, we pray. And we pray, O oh God, that they would be a family who comes to know you greatly through this particular time. We ask you, Lord, to give strength and encouragement and protection for the healthcare workers among us, for Pamela, for Jelaine, for Diane, for Nima, for Timmy, for my cousin Stephanie, all working with people, God dealing with COVID. Lord, we pray for those in our church, family with special needs. We pray for those in our church who are caregivers. And Lord, we pray for our country. We beg you, God, to give the churches revival that the people of God would be light in this country. We do ask you to give wisdom to our leaders from the highest levels, God, all the way from the federal level all the way to the state level. We pray, O oh God, and beg your mercy. And our hope, O oh God, we confess is in your word. Those who trust in you will have their strength renewed, not in our time, Lord, but in yours. Our hope is in your word, that those who trust and hope in you will soar on wings like eagles, not by our own strength, which fails, but by yours, which is eternally strong. Our hope, O oh Lord, is in your promises, that you're making all things new, you started this process through the work of your son Jesus, that one day there will be no more tears, that you're able to bring it to completion because unlike us, you do not grow tired or weary. We praise you, our sovereign Lord, and we cling to your son Jesus 
is our only hope and our Savior, our joy in this life and the life to come. It is in his most powerful name that we pray. Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, thank God for the opportunity to pray. Thank God for his great forgiveness and that he sustains us. He sustains sinners like us. Let's sing together Cornerstone, for Christ indeed is our cornerstone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within the veil. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, Lord of all. He is Lord, Lord of all. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. trumpet sound oh may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone faultless stand before the throne faultless stand before the throne
He became sin who knew no sin that we might become His righteousness. He humbled Himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing. Love so amazing. Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed from heaven Jesus Messiah Lord of all His body the bread His blood the wine broken and poured out all for love the whole earth trembled and the veil was torn love so amazing love so amazing jesus messiah name above all names blessed from heaven Jesus Messiah Lord of all all our hope is in you all our hope is in you all the glory sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all, Jesus Messiah.
We thank you for joining us for worship this morning. We hope you have been encouraged and been blessed by this time of coming under the Lord's word. And we pray that as we go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen.